section seven of essays in idleness by agnes replier this librivox recording is in the public domain wit and humor it is dubious wisdom to walk in the footprints of a giant and to stumble with little steps along the road where his great strides were taken yet many years have passed since hazlitt trod this way fresh flowers have grown by the root and fresh weeds have fought with them for mastery the face of the country has changed for better or for worse and a brief survey reveals much that never met his eyes the journey too was safer in his day than in ours and while he gathers and analyzes every species of wit and humor it plainly does not occur to him for a moment that either calls for any protection at his hands hazlitt is so sure that laughter is our inalienable right that he takes no pains to soften its cadences or to justify its mirth we laugh at that in others which is a serious matter to ourselves he says and sees no reason why this should not be some one is generally sure to be the sufferer by a joke and fortified with this assurance he confesses to a frank delight in the comic parts of the arabian nights although recognizing keenly the spirit of cruelty that underlies them and aware that they carry the principles of callous indifference in a jest as far as it can go don quixote too he stoutly affirms to be as fitting a subject for merriment as sancho panza both are laughable and both are meant to be laughed at the extravagances of each being pitted dexterously against those of the other by a great artist in the ridiculous but he is by no means insensible to the charm and goodness of the ingenious gentleman for sympathy is the legitimate attribute of humour and even where the humorist seems most pitiless and even brutal in his apprehension of the absurd he has a living tenderness for our poor humanity which is so rich in its absurdities hazlitt's definition of wit and humour is perhaps as good as any definition is ever likely to be that is it expresses a half-truth with a great deal of reasonableness and accuracy humour he says is the describing the ludicrous as it is in itself wit is the exposing it by comparing or contrasting it with something else humour is the growth of nature and accident wit is the product of art and fancy humour as it is shown in books is an imitation of the natural or acquired absurdities of mankind or of the ludicrous in accident situation and character wit is the illustrating and heightening the sense of that absurdity by some sudden and unexpected likeness or opposition of one thing to another which sets off the quality we laugh at or despise in a still more contemptible or striking point of view this is perhaps enough to show us at least one cause of the endless triumph of humour over wit a triumph due to its closer affinity with the simple and elementary conditions of human nature and life wit is artificial humour is natural wit is accidental humour is inevitable wit is born of conscious effort humour of the allotted ironies of fate wit can be expressed only in language humour can be developed sufficiently in situation wit is the placing of the intellectual or the weapon of nimble minds humour is the possession of all sorts and conditions of men wit is truly what shelley falsely imagined virtue to be 
a refinement of civilized life humor is the property of all races in every stage of development wit possesses a species of immortality and for many generations holds its own humor is truly immortal and as long as the eye sees and the ear hears and the heart beats it will be our privilege to laugh at the pleasant absurdities which require no other seed or nurture than man's endless intercourse with man nevertheless an understanding of the differences in nations and in epochs helps us to the enjoyment of many humorous situations we should know something of england and of india to appreciate the peculiar horror with which lord minto on reaching calcutta beheld the fourteen male attendants who stood in his chamber respectfully prepared to help him into bed or his still greater dismay at being presented by the rajah of bali with seven slaves five little boys and two little girls all of whom cost the conscientious governor-general a deal of trouble and expense before they were properly disposed of and in a fair way to learn their alphabet and catechism yet perhaps a deeper knowledge of time and character is needed to sound the depths of sir robert walpole's cynical observation gratitude is a lively sense of future favours although this is indeed a type of witticism which possesses inherent vitality not depending upon any play of words or double meanings but striking deep root into the fundamental failings of the human heart it is in its simplest forms however that humour enjoys a world-wide actuality and is the connecting link of all times and places and people let us start from laughter says Monsieur edmund shearer since laughter is a thing familiar to every one it is excited by a sense of the ridiculous and the ridiculous arises from the contradiction between the use of a thing and its intention even that commonest of all themes a fellow-creature slipping or falling m shearer holds to be provocative of mirth and in selecting this elementary example he bravely drives the matter back to its earliest and rudest principles for it is a weapon in the hands of the serious that such casualties which should excite instant sympathy and alarm awaken laughter only in those who are too foolish or too brutal to experience any other sensation it would seem indeed that the sight of a man falling on the ice or in the mud cannot be and ought not to be very amusing but before we frown severely and forever upon such vulgar jests let us turn for a moment to a well-known essay and see what charles lamb has to plead in their extenuation i am by nature extremely susceptible of street affronts the jeers and taunts of the populace the low-bred triumph they display over the casual trip or splashed stocking of a gentleman yet i can endure the jocularity of a young sweep with something more than forgiveness in the last winter but one pacing along cheapside with my accustomed precipitation when i walk westward a treacherous slide brought me upon my back in an instant i scrambled up with pain and shame enough yet outwardly trying to face it down as if nothing had happened when the roguish grin of one of these young wits encountered me there he stood pointing me out with his dusky finger to the mob and to a poor woman i suppose his mother in particular till the tears for the exquisiteness of the fun so he thought it worked themselves out at the corners of his poor red eyes 
red from many a previous weeping and soot inflamed yet twinkling through all with such a joy snatched out of desolation that hogarth but hogarth has got him already how could he miss him in the march to finchley grinning at the pieman there he stood as he stands in the picture irremovable as if the jest was to last for ever with such a maximum of glee and minimum of mischief in his mirth for the grin of a genuine sweep hath absolutely no malice in it that i could have been content if the honour of a gentleman might endure it to have remained his butt and his mockery till midnight ah prince of kindly humorists to whom shall we go but you for tears and laughter and pastime and sympathy and jests and gentle tolerance and all things needed to make light our trouble-burdened hearts it is not worth while to deny or even to soften the cruel side of humour though it is a far more grievous error to overlook its generous forbearance the humorist's view of life is essentially genial but he has given stout blows in his day and the sound of his vigorous warfare rings harshly in our unaccustomed ears the old giants of english fun were neither soft-spoken nor soft-handed gentry and it seems to us now and then as if they laid about them with joyous and indiscriminate activity even dickens the last and greatest of his race and haunted often to his fall by the beckoning of mirthless modern phantoms shows in his earlier work a good deal of this gleeful and unhesitating belligerency the scenes between old weller and mr stiggins might be successfully acted in a spirited puppet-show where conversation is of less importance than well-timed and well-bestowed pommeling but we have now reached that point of humane seriousness when even puppet-shows cannot escape their educational responsibilities and when punch and judy are gravely censured for teaching a lesson in brutality the laughter of generations which should protect and hallow the little mannequins at play counts for nothing by the side of their irresponsible naughtiness and their cheerful disregard of all our moral standards yet here too hazlitt has a seasonable word of defence holding indeed that he who invented such diverting pastimes was a benefactor to his species and gave us something which it was rational and healthy to enjoy we place the mirth and glee and triumph to our own account he says and we know that the bangs and blows the actors have received go for nothing as soon as the showman puts them up in his box and marches off quietly with them as jugglers of a less amusing description sometimes march off with the wrongs and rights of mankind in their pockets it has been well said that wit requires a good head humour a good heart and fun high spirits punch's spirits let us hasten to admit are considerably in advance of his head and heart yet nevertheless he is wanting neither in acuteness nor in the spirit of good fellowship he has hearkened to the advice given by seneca many years ago jest without bitterness and has practised this delightful accomplishment for centuries as befits the most conservative joker in the world another reproach urged against humour rather than wit is its somewhat complicated system of lying and much well-merited severity has been expended upon such questionable diversions as hoaxing quizzing selling and other variations of the game 
the titles of which have long since passed away leaving their substance behind them it would be easy but untrue to say that real humor has nothing whatever to do with these unworthy offshoots and never encourages their growth the fact remains that they spring from a great humorous principle and one which critics have been prompt to recognize and embody in language as clear and unmistakable as possible lying says hazlitt is a species of wit and humor to lay anything to a person's charge from which he is perfectly free shows spirit and invention and the more incredible the effrontery the greater is the joke the terrors of sancho observes m Shearer, the rascalities of scapin the brags of falstaff amuse us because of their disproportion with circumstances or their disagreement with facts just as charles lamb humanizes a brutal jest by turning it against himself so walter scott gives amusing emphasis to a lie by directing it against his own personality his description of himself in his journal as a pebble-hearted cur the occasion being his parting with the emotional madame mirbel is truly humorous because of its remoteness from the truth there are plenty of men who could have risked using the phrase without exciting in us that sudden sense of incongruity which is a legitimate source of laughter a delightful instance of effrontery which shows both spirit and invention is the story told by sir francis doyle of the highwaymen who having attacked and robbed lord derby and his friend mr grenville said to them with reproachful candour what scoundrels you must be to fire at gentlemen who risk their lives upon the road as for the wit that lies in playful misstatements and exaggerations we must search for it in the riotous humour of lamb's letters where the true and the false are often so inextricably commingled that it is a hopeless task to separate facts from fancies i shall certainly go to the naughty man for fibbing writes lamb with soft laughter and the devout apprehension may have been justly shared by edward fitzgerald when he describes the parish church at woodbridge as being so damp that the fungi grew in great numbers about the communion table a keen sense of the absurd is so little relished by those who have it not that it is too often considered solely as a weapon of offence and not as a shield against the countless ills that come to man through lack of sanity and judgment there is a well-defined impression in the world that the satirist like the devil roams abroad seeking whom he may devour and generally devouring the best whereas his position is often that of the besieged who defends himself with the sharpest weapons at his command against a host of invading evils there are many things in life so radically unwholesome that it is not safe to approach them save with laughter as a disinfectant and when people cannot laugh the moral atmosphere grows stagnant and nothing is too morbid too preposterous or too mischievous to meet with sympathy and solemn assurances of good-will this is why a sense of the ridiculous has been justly called the guardian of our minor morals rendering men in some measure dependent upon the judgments of their associates and laying the basis of that decorum and propriety of conduct which is a necessary condition of human life and upon which is founded the great charm of intercourse between equals from what pitfalls of vanity and self-assurance have we been saved by this ever-watchful presence 
into what abysmal follies have we fallen when she withholds her restraining hand shelley's letters are perhaps the strongest argument in behalf of healthy humour that literature has yet offered to the world only a man burdened with an invincible repugnance to the comic could have gravely penned a sentence like this certainly a saint may be amiable she may be so but then she does not understand has neglected to investigate the religion which retiring modest prejudice leads her to profess only a man afflicted with what mr arnold mildly calls an inhuman lack of humour could have written thus to a female friend the french language you already know and if the great name of rousseau did not redeem it it would have been perhaps as well that you had remained ignorant of it our natural pleasure at this verdict may be agreeably heightened by placing alongside of it madame de stal's moderate statement conversation like talent exists only in france and such robust expressions of opinion give us our clearest insight into at least one of the dangers from which a sense of the ridiculous rescues its fortunate possessor when all has been said however we must admit that edged tools are dangerous things to handle and not infrequently do much hurt the art of being humorous in an agreeable way is as difficult in our day as in the days of marcus aurelius and a disagreeable exercise of this noble gift is as unwelcome now as then levity has as many tricks as the kitten says lee hunt who was quite capable of illustrating and proving the truth of his assertion and whose scratching at times closely resembled the less playful manifestations of a full-grown cat wit is the salt of conversation not the food and few things in the world are more wearying than a sarcastic attitude towards life je goûte ceux qui sont raisonnables et me divertis des extravagants says uranie in la critique de l'école des femmes and even these words seem to tolerant ears to savour unduly of arrogance the best use we can make of humour is not to divert ourselves with but to defend ourselves against the folly of fools for much of the world's misery is entailed upon her by her eminently well-meaning and foolish children there is no finer proof of miss austen's mature genius than the gradual mellowing of her humour from the deliberate pleasure affected by elizabeth bennet and her father in the foibles of their fellow-creatures to the amused sympathy betrayed in every page of emma and persuasion not even the charm and brilliance of pride and prejudice can altogether reconcile us to a heroine who like uranie diverts herself with the failings of mankind what a gap between mr bennet's cynical praise of his son-in-law wickham which under the circumstances is a little revolting and mr knightley's manly reproof to emma whose youthful gaiety beguiles her into an unkind jest while we talk much of miss austen's merciless laughter let us remember always that the finest and bravest defence of harmless folly against insolent wit is embodied in this earnest remonstrance from the lips of a lover who is courageous enough to speak plain truths with no suspicion of priggishness to mar their wholesome flavour it is difficult at any time to deprive wit of its social or political surroundings it is impossible to drive it back to those deeper simpler sources whence humour springs unveiled hudibras for example is witty don quixote is humorous 
sheridan is witty goldsmith is humorous to turn from the sparkling scenes where the rivals play their mimic parts to the quiet fireside where the vicar and farmer flamborough sit sipping their gooseberry wine is to re-enter life and to feel human hearts beating against our own how delicate the touch which puts everything before us with a certain gentle loving malice winning us to laughter without for a moment alienating our sympathies from the right hazlitt claims for the wicked and witty comedies of the restoration that it is their privilege to allay our scruples and banish our just regrets but when goldsmith brings the profligate squire and his female associates into the vicar's innocent household the scene is one of pure and incomparable humour which nevertheless leaves us more than ever in love with the simple goodness which is so readily deceived mr thornhill utters a questionable sentiment the two fine ladies who have been striving hard to play their parts and only letting slip occasional oaths affect great displeasure at his laxness and at once begin a very discreet and serious dialogue upon virtue in this my wife the chaplain and i soon joined and the squire himself was at last brought to confess a sense of sorrow for his former excesses we talked of the pleasures of temperance and of the sunshine of the mind unpolluted with guilt i was so well pleased that my little ones were kept up beyond the usual time to be edited by so much good conversation mr thornhill even went beyond me and demanded if i had any objection to giving prayers i joyfully embraced the proposal and in this manner the night was passed in a most comfortable way till at length the company began to think of returning what a picture it is what an admirably humorous situation what easy tolerance in the treatment we laugh but even in our laughter we know that not for the space of a passing breath does goldsmith yield his own sympathy or divert ours away from the just cause of innocence and truth if men of real wit have been more numerous in the world than men of real humour it is because discernment and lenity mirth and conciliation are qualities which do not blend easily with the natural asperity of our race humour has been somewhat daringly defined as a sympathy for the seamy side of things it does not hover on the borders of the light and trifling it does not linger in that keen and courtly atmosphere which is the chosen playground of wit but diffusing itself subtly through all nature reveals to us life life which we love to consider and to judge from some pet standpoint of our own but which is so big and wonderful and good and bad and fine and terrible that our little peaks of observation command only a glimpse of the mysteries we are so ready and willing to solve thus the degree of wit embodied in an old story is a matter of much dispute and of scant importance but when we read that queen elizabeth in her last illness turned wearily away from matters of state yet delighted to hear some of the hundred merry tales and to such was very attentive we feel we have been lifted into the regions of humour and by its sudden light we recognise not the dubious merriment of the tales but the sick and world-worn spirit seeking a transient relief from fretful care and poisonous recollections so too when sheridan said of mr dundas that he resorted to his memory for his jests and to his imagination for his facts 
the great wit after the fashion of wits expressed a limited truth it was a delightful statement so far as it went but it went no further than mr dundas with just the possibility of a second application when voltaire sighed nothing is so disagreeable as to be obscurely hanged he gave utterance to a national sentiment which is not in the least witty but profoundly humorous revealing with charming distinctness a frenchman's innate aversion to all dull and commonplace surroundings dying is not with him as with an englishman a strictly private affair it is the last act of life's brilliant play which is expected to throw no discredit upon the sparkling scenes it closes the breath of atmosphere which humour requires for its development the saneness anti-sympathy of its revelations are admirably described by one of the most penetrating and least humorous of french critics m edmund shearer whose words are all the more grateful and valuable to us when they refer not to his own countrymen but to those robust english humorists whom it is our present pleasure to ignore m shearer it is true finds much fault and reasonable fault ever with these stout-hearted strong-handed veterans they are not always decorous they are not always sincere they are wont to play with their subjects they are too eager to amuse themselves and other people it is easy to make out a list of their derelictions yet this does not permit the temperament of the humorist from being on the whole the happiest that a man can bring with him into this world nor his point of view from being the fairest from which the world can be judged the satirist grows wroth the cynic banters the humorist laughs and sympathizes by turns he has neither the fault of the pessimist who refers everything to a purely personal conception and is angry with reality for not being such as he conceives it nor that of the optimist who shuts his eyes to everything missing on the real earth that he may comply with the demands of his heart and of his reason the humorist feels the imperfections of reality and resigns himself to them with good temper knowing that his own satisfaction is not the rule of things and that the formula of the universe is necessarily larger than the preferences of a single one of the accidental beings of whom the universe is composed he is beyond doubt the true philosopher this is a broad statement yet to endure life smilingly is no ignoble task and if the humours of mankind are inseparably blended with all their impulses and actions it is worth while to consider bravely the value of qualities so subtle and far-reaching in their influences steele as we know dressed the invading bailiffs in liveries and amazed his guests by the number and elegance of his retainers sydney smith fastened antlers on his sheep for the gratification of a lady who thought he ought to have deer in his park such elaborate jests born of invincible gaiety and high spirits seem childish to our present adult seriousness and we are too impatient to understand that they represent an attitude and a very healthy attitude towards life the iniquity of steele's career lay in his repeatedly running into debt not in the admirable temper with which he met the consequences of that debt when they were forced upon him and if the censorious are disposed to believe that a less happy disposition would have avoided these consequences let them consider the careers of poor richard savage and other misanthropic prodigals as for sydney smith 
he followed burton's excellent counsel go on then merrily to heaven and his path was none the less straight because it was smoothed by laughter that which must be borne had best be borne cheerfully and sometimes a single telling stroke of wit a single word rich in manly humour reveals to us that true courage that fine philosophy which endures and even tolerates the vicissitudes of fortune without for a moment relinquishing its honest hold upon the right mr lang has told us such a little story of the verger in a saxon town who was wont to show visitors a silver mouse which had been offered by the women to the blessed virgin that she might rid the town of mice a prussian officer with that prompt brutality which loves to offend religious sentiment it does not share asked jeeringly are you such fools as to believe that the creatures went away because a silver mouse was dedicated ah no replied the verger or long ago we should have offered a silver prussian it is the often expressed opinion of lee hunt that although wit and humour may be found in perfection apart from each other yet their best work is shared in common wit separated from humour is but an element of sport a laughing jade with petulant whims and fancies which runs away with our discretion confuses our wisdom and mocks at holy charity yet adds greatly withal to the buoyancy and popularity of life it makes gentlefolk laugh a difficult task says moliere it scatters our faculties and bears them off deridingly into pastime it is a fire gleam in our dull world a gift of the gods who love to provide weapons for the amusement and discomfiture of mankind but humour stands on common soil and breathes our common air the kindly contagion of its mirth lifts our hearts from their personal apprehension of life's grievances and links us together in a bond of mutual tears and laughter if it be powerless to mould existence or even explain it to our satisfaction it can give us at least some basis for philosophy some scope for sympathy and sanity and endurance the perceptions of the contrasts of human destiny says m Scherer, by a man who does not sever himself from humanity but who takes his own shortcomings and those of his dear fellow-creatures cheerfully this is the essence of humour end of section seven